This episode of the pod's proudly brought to you by JBEC Mechanical Repairs. With the ever-rising cost of living, we're all looking for ways to save a few bucks so you can spend it in the areas that you love. One area JBEC can help you is with the rising cost of fuel prices, why not remap your vehicle to gain more power and better fuel economy through their chip tuning service. Chip tuning can be done on many vehicles, including various trucks and tractors, and conditions apply. With over 30 years combined experience in small engine cars and diesel engines, Jade and his team are qualified in both diesel and petrol vehicles. They offer a mobile field service unit, including breakdown services, all mechanical repairs, engine rebuilds, as well as aircon and auto electrical services. To find out more, just find JBEC Mechanical Repairs on Facebook, email jbecinvestments at gmail.com, or call or text 0492 594 058. Tell them Brendan sent you for a free cuddle, and trust me, that's better than a handshake, because Jade's fingers will crush you. JBEC Mechanical Repairs, offering chip tuning. Unleash the power within. This week, it was a real pleasure to sit down and chat with Moriarty farmer, Caitlin Radford. I learned so much from this, and uh, through my research, the main thing that I learned was how little I actually know about farming, so Caitlin was very understanding with all of my dumb questions, so thank you, Caitlin. Um, we chat about the role farming and agriculture plays in society, um, her challenges in being a woman and breaking down barriers in a traditional male-dominated industry, and we also talk about her personal journey. As a youngster, she had uh, a little bit of illness diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis, and uh, this led to some body image issues and a lot of challenges um, as a young person, and she got through this with her love for horses and the farm which is a great chat um, we also get some fantastic relationship tips from caitlin she and her partner owen are at times a long way apart um, and also being business partners can be a little bit tricky as well so it's a great insight into how to maintain your relationship but also function as business partners so yeah they're doing a great job and you'll get lots of tips from that um, no farming chat would be complete without a good chat about the weather so we have a bit of a chat about that and how this impacts um, production and also how it can be catastrophic at times for farmers um, a lot of people don't realize how big a part the weather does play for them it's a great chat for anyone wanting to get some inspiration and motivation to take a leap into an area that they might not think they fit or be successful. And you hear how Caitlin did it, and you can do it too. G'day everybody, welcome back to the Talk Hard Podcast. I'm Jake. I'm Briley. I'm Sonny. We hope you enjoy today's episode. I get a phone call basically saying, Dad's not it. This sit-down lawnmower is like about three metres long time I was finished with it was about half a metre. A fully grown man sleeping with the light on. Shit scared. He's come out my car with an angle grinder before. Just yeah, it's just such an important thing for so many people. And I thought, holy shit, I'm gonna get the listed next tomorrow. Like that's kind of put a line through me. So that's why checking in on your mate or your son or your daughter or your player or your coach or whoever it is, you become the side. I just let him know that, you know, it's tough, but we're tougher. And he just wrapped those big arms he got around me and just said, mate, like, we'll work through this together. Like, oh, I absolutely love you. The Talk Art Podcast with Brendan Hinkson. Caitlin Radford, welcome to the Talk Hard Podcast. Thank you very much for having me. My pleasure. It's awesome to have you in. Um, one thing that I did learn through my research is how little I actually know about farming. Um, but one thing that I do know about farming and farmers, I know how precious your time is. So we'll have to be really, really quick. I'm sure you've got <laughs> crops to tend to or lambs to tend to or something like that. So what's on the agenda for today? Uh, the rest of the day is just looking like horse riding lessons. So I teach a lot of kids to ride. So that'll cool. pretty well take up the rest of the day. A little bit of pleasure on the side of all the work and stuff. Yeah, it's really good. I really enjoy it. Yeah, it makes a bit of a difference. Yeah. Just um, tell us about um, a, a typical day in the life of a farmer. So what does a, a normal day sort of revolve around for you? I don't think there is a typical day, unfortunately. It's not a nine-to-five job. It's um, 
it involves a lot of variety, a lot of planning, and obviously it depends on what time of year it is. Yep. So at the minute we've just started topping Brussels sprouts. So we've got five workers out there and they've got to go through and snap the top out of the Brussels sprouts by hand. Yep. Um, a little fun fact for you, there's 240,000 Brussels sprout plants in my paddock. Bloody hell. And which means there'll be about 28 million sprouts come out of that paddock. Nice. So did the math the other day. I was like, wow. <laughs> Big job <laughs> Just then. a few. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So a typical day at the minute is hopefully getting to ride my horse, which I actually did get to do today, which was great. We had the farrier this morning, fed out some silage. Yep. Now I'm here and I'll go give some riding lessons and then meetings or trying to catch up on paperwork. Yep. A lot of paperwork this time of year you got crops going, so you're getting all your paddock records ready for them, doing your budgets, doing your gross margins, that sort of thing. Yep. I'm really lucky we've got an apprentice on the farm, Jordan, and she's fabulous. So a lot of the really easy hands-on jobs yep. she takes care of for me, which yep. allows me to get in the office a bit more, which sometimes I wish I was out of the office a bit more, but <laughs> <laughs> that's I'm gonna, okay. I'm going to ask you about that a lot as, as we chat along, like about that work-life balance and that sort of thing. But is that something that is really important for you to make sure that you're doing stuff for yourself? Because obviously Definitely. you're under a fair bit of pressure, I'd imagine. Yeah, it's, um, it's quite interesting. So I'm a fifth-generation farmer, so it's like my grandparents done it, you know, mum and dad do it, all of that sort of thing. So I did my apprenticeship under mum and dad, and I was living there, I was working there, you know, trying to keep a good relationship with your parents while they're also your boss. Yep. That was sort of tricky. So I ended yep. up moving out to Port Sorrel for sort of 12, 18 months. Yep. And that was fabulous. And then sort of at that time, Owen and I, my partner, we'd sort of gone out on our own and we were share farming and renting with my nan and pop. Yep. But it meant that I got to leave work, drive 10 minutes. I was home, you know, sort of in suburbia. Yep. Didn't really know your neighbours or anything, but it was just peaceful near the beach. Yeah. Whereas when we've brought our new farm at the end of last year, like I'm back living and working the same place yep so it can be quite tricky because even if you come inside at the end of a big day you're like oh looking at the office or oh, there's stuff to do there or yeah you know i might need to go tidy up stuff in the shed so you kind of never feel like you can switch off to some degree yeah okay which can be tricky you don't have that safe zone where you're not looking at work yeah so to speak. i've yep. been trying to read a book um it's taken me a while to get through it but... <laughs> <laughs> too busy yeah out on the farm, some yeah. like hand embroidering stuff just trying to keep doing different things and yeah but i love what i do and i think you know when you love what you do it doesn't feel as much like work obviously there's hard days when you're like what am i doing yeah but for the majority of it i really love it it's one of those old sayings isn't it they say that if you if you love what you're doing you'll never work a day in your life but i'm yeah. sure some days for you still feel like work. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah it's pouring with rain and you're trying to pull a lamb or something you're like there's better things i could be doing absolutely but um it, it's all worth it in the end yeah awesome and it's good that you are self-aware of um you know your self-care and that sort of thing because yeah. i know mental health is a big issue in the oh, yeah. in the rural community as well and yeah i know that a lot of people um you know would just keep their head down and just you know pardon the pun but just keep plowing through everything so yeah. um you know to the point where they just break and i know you know suicides are, are pretty high amongst farmers especially ones that have um you know suffer with drought and and things yeah. like that so you know for you to obviously you know be trying to read a book and you know doing things for yourself outside of it like that's that's commendable to yeah, yeah. it's so important like I go swimming every Thursday morning yep. just like a little heated pool and it's like my one hour of zen I guess yep where no one annoys me and I can put on music or whatever and yep. um I do see a psychologist so I do see Mel she's yep. absolutely wonderful there's another twenty dollars Mel alone yeah. another shout out that she gets I charge yeah. her for a shout out but yeah it's funny yeah. how she gets a few because she's pretty awesome yeah oh she's made the world a difference and just having someone to talk to that 
doesn't, you know, I mean, obviously I, we know each other a lot more now, but at the start I could just cry my heart out and she was just there for me. wasn't judging me. Yep. You know, that there's been a lot of family stuff go on during the time, which has been tricky to deal with, especially when it's family and business and neighbors and grandparents and, yep. and stuff can get tricky. Yeah. Um, so w- but, without going into it, because it's obviously none of my business, but was that the main thing that you needed, that support around just family dynamics and stuff, just yeah, sort of wading your way through that? There was sort of that. And then Owen, oh, my partner, so we've been together about three and a half years, but yep. he's based in Kettering, yep. so three and a half hours away. Yeah, yep. And that was a big toll on me to start with. Um, you know, I think it, I kind of thought it would be easier to be single or to have someone there full time because yep. it would be like you would just get used to him being up for the weekend and then he'd have to go. And then obviously me trying to get to Hobart as well, which was tricky depending on the time of year. So I yep. didn't feel like I could put in as much he's, he was putting in. Yeah. Um, so that was sort of a lot of around that as well. Mm. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And that's, again, something that we're going to talk about. You know, we're going to get a few relationships yeah. off you because obviously you guys haven't killed each other and you're still together. It's a so miracle. you must be doing something really, really well. Um, so just quickly, just give us an overview of your farm and what sort of, um, this is my lack of knowledge, but is it like what sort of industry you're in? Is it um, livestock? Obviously, you talked about your sprouts and things, but what sort yep. of different services do you have on the farm? Yeah, so it's a mixed vegetable and livestock farm. Yep. So if I can remember everything between, so there's three farms. Yep. So there's Nan and Pop's farm, the farm that Owen and I just brought, and then Mum and Dad's farm. Yep. And so we did a company merger when we brought the new farm, just so it's all one entity and then for succession planning and whatnot. Yep. So between the farms, we have cauliflower, broccoli, carrots, Brussels sprouts, potatoes, peas, green beans, wheat, hay and silage. Dad does grass seed as well. We have done onions and poppies and pyrethrum stuff in the past, but we don't grow them currently. Yep. And then we have sheep and cattle. So we just buy in wieners, fatten them up and sell them. And then Dad and I have got a herd each. Um, and we lamb sort of May, June. Yep. And then just, yeah, sell them once they're fat and happy. And- yep. So, yeah. do, so do you guys all work across each other's farms or do you stick to your farm and they stick to theirs, but you're all like the same company? Is that how Yeah, we kind of stick to our own farms, yep. but um, like Jordan will float between everyone depending on what's going on. Like if dad needs her on a spud harvester at his place yep. or, you know, needs some rocks picked up or help moving sheep and cattle. So we all intertwine to some degree. Yep. Um, and we have like monthly business meetings where everyone knows what's going on, what's yep. coming up you know, things we'd like to do, wish list, stuff like that, but we still keep it fairly separate. And we've got a way with our accounting that we can still look at it and see which individual farm brought in what bunny and and that sort of thing. Yeah. Cool. Excellent. And obviously, you know, we'll unpack that as as we go along. But take us back to the start. Where did you where did you grow up? So where's your your family's farm originally and and where did you sort of grow up and and get into farming? Yep. So the farm that mum and dad have now, so Hillcrest, it's made up of three titles. Yep. Or four actually. Yep. Um so that's in Moriarty. And that's where I'd lived my entire life until I moved out to Port Sorrel. Yep. So mum and dad brought that not long before they had my brother. Um, so they've had that like 25, 26 years, mm-hmm. must be. So I was born in La Trobe, went to school, Moriarty Primary School, to grade four, did grade five and six at Wesley Vale, because Moriarty yep. was a very small school. Yep. Um, and we mainly moved because my brother was going to be one of two boys, and the other boy had learning challenges and stuff like that. So we both sort of wanted some more friends, and we knew it was probably going to be tricky going to then high school, coming from 80 kids in a school. At least we went to Wesley Vale, which had 300, and then we both went to St. Brendan's, so you're looking yep. at 800. Yeah. So it was 
you know, quite a jump there. Yeah. So yeah, then did grade seven to 12 at St. Brendan's and I really loved it there. Yeah. Um, I think Brock did too. We both liked the structure of it. I know I wouldn't have coped going to Don and Brock wouldn't have either. He ended up getting an apprenticeship and doing other things anyway. Yeah. And then after that, I completed a diploma of um, equitation science, which yep. is just like horse science. And then I went to the mainland for a couple of months and I was still doing my freestyle business, which is music to dressage. Mm-hmm. That's a whole other thing. Yep. Awesome. <laughs> um, yeah. And then come home and I was involved with a lot of committees and stuff and sort of only working part time, doing lessons and sort of not really sure what I was going to do. I sort of wanted to go to a gap year, but I had my horse, so I couldn't really leave him and I was heavily into competing at yeah. that point. So just to stop you, so you weren't always going to get into farming? It was sort of, you were tossing and tossing I always up a was, few different things? Or? But I never expected it to be this soon. Right. Okay. I think because, you know, the average age of a farmer is like 45, hmm. you know, and it sometimes takes people that long to save up enough money and equity and that sort of thing to purchase a farm. Yep. So I think I never really had the idea that that was going to happen for me so soon, yep. especially because dad's only just coming up 60 now and my pop's 89 now Yep. and pop only decided to retire when he was 86. Yeah, right. And so I, here I am at like 18 or whatever yep. I was and I'm like... And you've got 70 years to go. <laughs> oh yeah, I'm like, there's no way I'm going to wait that long, yep. you know, and... Dad also didn't have enough work for me to be full-time, yep. which is why I did my apprenticeship part-time. Yep. And so I just didn't want to be treading water. I'm not someone to tread water and sit still. Yep. Like there's been a lot of growth happen. Um, just to diverge a little bit, I was You're actually right. talking to Owen the other day and we're at the point now where we do need to sort of just tread water, you know, pay our bills and yep. all that sort of thing for a couple of years. Yep. And I'm like, I'm not sure how I'm going to cope not having a new project or, or something to do, but yep. looking forward to getting everything sort of Mickey Mouse before we take on another property or yeah. whatever. But It is funny that you say that because I just had a chat to my daughter the other day about, um, I must have seen a quote or something somewhere, but it is so important to have something on the horizon, something to look forward to because yeah. it keeps you going, particularly through those those dark days. But yeah, I can understand what you're saying too. Yeah. Sometimes you've got to take stock of where you are and get your own backyard sorted before you move on exactly. to the next thing. And that's where it was always like for my mental health, I needed something to be doing, like I needed to be riding and competing or I needed to be looking at share farming and renting and what crops I can do. And, yep. you know, like I'm sort of always on the move. So learning to sort of sit back and, and relax has been challenging Yep. because I can procrastinate, don't get me wrong, but I just work myself up into a mess. Yeah, right. And I, I get to the point where I'm like, I, I don't know what to do because I feel so stuck. Yep. You just sort of go take that step just to do one simple thing and then you sort of untwine yourself a little bit. Yeah, so you're someone's always got to have your hands busy and then you've always got to be doing something. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. I mean, don't yeah. get me wrong, there's points where like, I just want to sit on the couch for the rest of the night. Yep. Like, we all get to that point, but yep. um, for the most part, I, I need something to be looking forward to, yep. a project or a trip or something. Yeah, cool. So for you, like, what attracts you to farming and why did you know that you're always going to get into it, apart from being in your blood? Like, what yeah. what did you see in it that you really wanted to do? The biggest thing is knowing that you're sort of making a difference in the world. Like, yep. everyone's got to eat. And I know that that's probably such an overused thing, but it's so true, you know. And, I mean, we all hate talking about the pandemic, but it really proved everyone, you know, farmers couldn't just stop when that happened. Yep. We still had to grow and produce. And luckily for us, our lives didn't actually change that much. Yep. And a lot of it too is a lifestyle. You know, we get to 
live where we live and I get to have my horses around me and I get to go out on the tractor or in the side-by-side, you know, and you just have those moments where you're like, I'm so damn lucky to do this. <laughs> this is work. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yep. I get paid to do this. Yep. Um, so just knowing that you're helping feed everyone and making a difference and there's so many little things like even though vegetables are obviously just plants in the ground, like you nurture them from a seed or a transplant until they're harvested and you get to be part of the whole process. Yeah. Like it's an extremely satisfying job. Yeah. Like you spray the paddock off, you work the paddock up and even just doing, you know, lines up and down the paddock, you can clearly see where you've been, what difference you've made. So it's kind of like instant feedback and, you know, you've instant gratification, I guess. Yeah. And yeah, like when we're lambing, you know, you see you having trouble and if you don't help the you, the you and the lambs are going to die. You pull a lamb, they're all going to survive. Yeah. So I guess I've sort of got a caring nature. Like my grandma was a school teacher and my nan was a nurse, you know, and and following in dad's footsteps, like he's very much the same yeah. sort of nature. So yeah. yeah. Um, another thing I was going to ask you at a young age, and obviously, you know, you, you knew that you were going to get into it at some stage. I know that um, farming can be a very stressful job at times as well. Did you yeah. sort of see your family going through tough times and, and stress and did that discourage you at all? Or? It did to some degree. Um my dad and I farm a little bit differently from each other. Yep. And I think I've grown up in the generation where you try and value weekends and that sort of thing. And going on holidays, and I'm still lucky that I'm young enough that I get scholarships to go on trips and I'm just trying to learn as much as I can at the minute. Yep. But I definitely saw mum and dad not going away a lot, you know, or dad working seven days a week and, and he's the hardest working person I know. Yeah. But... I wanted to be able to farm, but do it in a way that allowed me to have time off. Yep. You know, um, we spent a lot of time, I guess, with dad growing up, but it was always on the farm and trying to have those off farm things. And uh, like, that's why I went horse riding and dad would go with Brock to motorbike racing and stuff like that. So there was little things that sort of put you off. And then, you know, there might be some family stuff happen where you would just be like, maybe it's worth being somewhere else doing something different. Yep. But you've kind of got to stick to what you want to do. And it all kind of fell into place, if that makes sense. Like, I didn't expect everything to happen so quick. Mm-hmm. Like, I was just sort of finishing my apprenticeship and then Pop's like, oh, I'm going to slow down. And, you know, and I was like, oh, maybe I could go share farming or something. So we had a conversation and then that led to that, which led to renting, which then led to us buying a farm. And it kind of just snowballed. Yeah. Sometimes you have a plan, but yeah doesn't yep. follow the plan. Yeah, that's right. But it's still good to have that goal, isn't it? Yeah, still definitely. Sort of, to be working sort of get there it. just in a roundabout way. Yeah. So at what age did you do your share farming? Or what age did you actually hardcore get into farming? Yeah. So I did my apprenticeship, well, it must have been 2017, 2018, I think. Feels like forever ago, but it's not that long ago. <laughs> yeah, time flies when <laughs> yeah. you're having fun. So I did my apprenticeship, um, yeah, then. And then, so Owen and I met in... 2019 we got together at the end of 2019 yep and then so it was 2020 is pretty well when it happened because i won my award in 2020 but i was already share farming at that point like i'd finished my apprenticeship yep so it was sort of financial year 2020 2021 we were share farming yeah 21 22 we were renting and then 22 23 yeah renting yeah Cool. So, yeah. Yeah. And at an early age, I don't know whether this is a 
one that you want to sort of answer or not but did anyone discourage you from getting into farming because you were female at all is that something that I don't I don't see it as because I was female I saw it as you know like mum and dad never forced us to be on the farm or anything like that we were able to do whatever we wanted yep um I think I was I was fortunate to be good at school and I think they thought I might go off and want to be a vet or do something like that because when when dad was young the stigma was people dropped out of school to go on the farm right yeah and that stigma's completely the opposite way around now because you know we need people going to uni and we need people in really high intellectual jobs to be involved with agriculture so it's kind of all come full circle so i don't think i was discouraged i just don't think people thought that I would be interested to start with. Yeah, okay. Like, mum and dad always knew I was going to be with animals and, and out in nature. Yep. But I think it, it was just one of those things that kind of happened. Yeah, cool. Yeah. And the reason that I asked it is I know that you have had some challenges, you know, from that perspective, which we're going to sort of un- yeah. unpack a little bit as well. But, yeah, I was just wondering what the family advice was, whether they knew that, you know, you would have certain challenges, you know, in a, a pretty male-dominated oh, industry. I know it's changing, yeah. but, you know, predominantly it, it no. generally has been, hasn't it? No, and it was really interesting. Nan and Pop won't mind me telling, but when Nan and Pop got married, Pop basically told my Nan that her job was within the garden gates, Yep. you know, and, I mean, she'd go out and help, obviously, the milk days. the cow and stuff <laughs> like that. And then, so it was really funny that that then come full circle that two generations later I was working with him and then went on to rent his land and we boss each other around all the time. So (laughs) (laughs) Um, it was really surprising because they're so old school how welcoming they actually were to that fact. Yep. I think that sort of took me by surprise a little bit. Yeah. But um, it's just about having a team around you. Like Dad and – yeah, sorry, Dad and Pop, they're my biggest mentors, you know, and without them I wouldn't be where I am today. Yeah. And Owen and I wouldn't have had the opportunities that we've had. Yeah. So (laughs) – It's definitely not come from family, any challenges that I've had. In the world today, mental health is an issue which thankfully more and more people are becoming aware of and comfortable speaking about. When choosing a professional to help you, what kind of service would you be looking for? At Lonvara, when asked to describe Mel Purcell's service, clients described it as real, compassionate, empowering, friendly, welcoming, inner strength building, a positive, safe, supportive environment, and she was described by one source as an absolute legend who enables change with love. Mel offers clinical counselling, hypnotherapy and a professional service which is tailored to the individual. She has a personal approach and makes sure each client's experience is authentic to their needs while also ensuring full confidentiality. Winner of the 2022 Australian Allied Health Awards for Rural and Remote Excellence, you can self-refer or through your GP mental health care plan. Lonvara, believing in you. I was going to ask you about mentors. So who who has your, your dad and popped up being your greatest teachers? Oh, I taught you how to definitely, farm. Yep. yeah. And it's um you know dad's very meticulous, which sometimes used to drive me nuts, but it's really taught me the correct way to do things. And they're always very willing if you take ideas to them. It might take a little while to get your idea going. Yeah. Um, because dad doesn't have a lot of technology on the farm. He's quite old school, but. Without a Jeep, like he doesn't have a GPS in anything except the center pivot irrigators, yep. so their GPS yep. for the um, swing arms. But he can drive straighter than a bullet, you know. And that art is so lost with a lot of technology that we have. You know, you have operators and then you pe- have people that just sit in the machinery and yep. the machinery does everything yeah, for you. Do you yep. know what I mean? Sort of thing. So that's changed a lot. And I would obviously, coming from the generation that I am, 
love the technology side of things and trying to make everything more efficient and productive and knowing numbers and doing data and that sort of thing. But yeah, dad and pop, number one, definitely biggest mentors. And then I was lucky. I was in Scandinavia for a farming conference last year. Yeah. Which I got a scholarship to do, which was amazing. So I had three and a half weeks over in Scandinavia and then went to Northern Ireland and Ireland on the way home. Um, But there was a lady on the trip and her name was Amy and she actually was down in Tassie or two weeks ago, I think. And she's from Canada. And I asked her to be my mentor while I was over there because I think it was really important to have someone who doesn't know your business just to give you tips or, you know, knowing how to deal with staff now that we're starting to grow in that capacity. Um, And she's been amazing. So good. Um, and there was another young girl, Ruby Daly from Daly's Potatoes, Hellfire Distillery. She was on the trip as well. Yep. And she was actually a mentor to me because she's a little bit older than me, but she offered some great advice and actually brought the mentor idea up to me in the first place. Yeah. So I think it's so important to get as much help as you can. Yeah. Which um, dad likes to keep to himself a little bit and he knows what he's doing and he just sticks in his own lane and, mm. you know, doesn't, you know, doesn't love recognition for stuff, just... Is more than happy. Yeah. Um, yeah. And likes to keep all his information to himself probably a little bit, but I kind of feel like, you know, if a neighbour helps me, that doesn't change the outcome of his crop. You know, he doesn't get paid any different for what he produces, but it might help me produce a bit more and make a bit more money mm. kind of thing. Yeah. So I get a little funny, I guess, about this invisible competition that people think is out there. Yeah. I think that's a good message yeah. for society too at the moment, isn't it? Like we should all be trying to help each other. Exactly. Like just because I help you and tell you my secrets, it's yeah. not going to change my life at all, is no, it? Like, no, no. Yeah, like you're not going to start to sabotage my life because <laughs> I've told you, you know, how I live or yeah. what, what I think and that sort of thing. So, yeah, I, th- I think it's fantastic. I think there is, unfortunately, there is like a lot of invisible competition now yeah. in society with social media and people comparing themselves to other people and that sort of thing. But at the end of the day, you know, we're all just trying to do our best and live our best life, aren't we? Oh, definitely. And it's so easy to get jealous of a neighbour that might have a bigger, fancier tractor than you and you want nothing more (laughs) than to get a big, fancy tractor, but, you know, you can't afford it right now. But maybe you can go to that person to be like, look, have you got any tips to help me? Yeah. You know, it might be using different fertilisers or different timing because farming is literally 100% the timing of when you do things. Yeah. You know, the timing of rain, the timing of chemical, the timing of planting. Yeah. That's what it all comes down to. So I think any information that you can get, and Owen and I are really getting a head start, being able to get in so early. Yeah. You know, I think it's great. Yeah. And just to take you back a little bit, so you spoke a little bit before about your dressage riding. So yeah. tell, tell us about that and how you got into that and, and, and how that's affected your life. Yeah. I was that one horse mad kid in every class. You know, every class had one. Yep. That was me. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so mum always used to say that I was cantering up and down the supermarket aisles before I could walk. <laughs> um, you know, I love saddle club, all of those little things that you loved when you were a kid. And my parents didn't ride, like there were sort of horsey connections, but mum didn't have a horse. She actually learned to ride after I did because she yep. thought I was having too much fun without her. Yep. And um, yeah, so my cousin was riding and went to the local riding school and it kind of started from there. And I think when I was eight, I was lucky to get my first pony. She was $800 sight unseen from Signet down Hobart Way. Yep. Her name was Princess. She was not a princess. <laughs> um, <laughs> it was tongue in cheek. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> she was great though. And I think... It kept going from there. You know, like if there was a school fair, I'd be at the horse pony rides, you know. Yep. 
I don't know what it is, don't know where it came from. And then it just kind of snowballed. So then sort of as you grew up, you got a bigger pony, started doing more things. Yep. Um, and yeah, I was lucky to be quite successful when I was younger with show horses and then into dressage. So so just for people that don't go to dressage or know, yeah. what, what is it? What do you actually have to do? Because there's a lot of training involved with you and the horse. Yeah, so think of it as like a horse is a gymnast and you're in a 20 by 60 sand arena and you've got to do gymnastic moves, mm-hmm. basically. So you start at low level, so it starts at prep or prelim, and then it goes all the way through to Grand Prix, which is what you see at the Olympics. So it's basically just training the horse to be supple and on the aids. And the greatest dressage riders can sit there with the horse doing amazing things and it looks like the rider's doing nothing. And sometimes people are like, oh, you don't even do anything when you're sitting on the horse. It's like, well, do you want to hop on? You know, like if you don't do anything, the horse will just stand there. Yeah. So it's, yeah, it's the strive for perfection, <laughs> which you never get because they're living animals, mm. but trying to get as close to that as you can. Yeah. So yeah. how much time and training and things are involved to, to get to, to that level, that Grand Prix level? Yeah, oh, at a Grand Prix level, years. Yeah. You know, um, I was really fortunate when I was 16 or I must have been 17. My parents brought me a Grand Prix horse and we got him for a good good price for what he was. And um, I'm sure we'll get into it later about the whole Paris stuff. And I was competing at a high level then. And he gave me so much knowledge, which I've then been able to take back as I've got a young horse. His name's Dave. He's pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> that's a cool name. Yeah, yeah that's awesome. Um, he's 17'2", which is massive for a horse. Yeah. Um, but so I've been able to teach him everything. But yeah, so in an ideal world, um, Dave's just had an injury, but normally you'd be trying to ride four to five times a week. Yep. Um, you know, in the arena, three to four times, and then a hack out, farm ride, trying to keep them a little bit fresh. Yeah. Um, and when I was younger, I was lucky to have a TIS scholarship for a little while. So I was going to the gym and stuff as well. And a lot of it's horse fitness, but a lot of it's sort of rider fitness as well. Yeah. And so I'd, I'd assume some horses are better than others. It's just Definitely. it's just through repetition, is it, that they learn? And yeah. some learn, some some will never learn. Is yeah, that and some are bred for it. Yeah. You know, they're bred for different things. You've got show jumping bloodlines, you've got dressage bloodlines. Yep. Um, it's completely different depending on what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. And uh, you, you mentioned there before, you know, about traveling and, and the success that you had. Um, you almost had an opportunity to go to the Paralympics, didn't you? Yeah. yeah. Can you talk to us about that time? And yep. and can you also talk to us about your, your diagnosis of rheumatoid arthritis, which I know you still yeah, have yeah. a bit of effects of? Yeah. Yeah. So it was, I think, 2011, it must have been. We were on our way to Werribee which was where one of the equestrian centres is. And we were heading over on the boat and I had a really bad pain in my left hip. And on the boat, it was really uncomfortable. And mum was like, it's fine, whatever. We got to Werribee and then that first night at Werribee, we staying at an Airbnb and the pain was unbearable. Like never felt anything like it. Didn't know what was going on. So mum took me to the Werribee hospital. They did x-rays, couldn't find anything. No one knew so they sent me to the Royal Children's Hospital. And so I was, what have I, yeah, I think I must have been like 13, 14 at this point, maybe a little bit younger. Yeah, probably around 13. Yeah. And um, yeah, so I went to the Children's Hospital. They did ultrasounds, MRIs and that sort of thing. And they found a whole heap of fluid on my hip mm-hmm. and they diagnosed it as a post-viral arthritis. So left hospital on crutches, still competed, did pretty well at what I was doing um and then sort of when I come home and it all settled down 
And then I went to see my GP. So then he sent me to a rheumatologist, which is a arthritis person, specialist. And yeah, so then I was diagnosed with severe idiopathic juvenile arthritis. Yep. Which is just arthritis in young people, yep. basically. Because when I turned 18, I magically only have rheumatoid arthritis now. Okay. Yep. <laughs> Change your name. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Um, so it was a tough time in my life because... I had a lot of pain growing up, but all doctors just told you it was growing pains. Yep. You know, no one ever sort of knew. And, and I was never well sort of growing up, always tro- troubled with health stuff. But that was fine. That's why I had the horses, which took my mind off it. Yep. Which was really great. And so it was it was really tough because I was on a lot of steroids. And when you're in early high school and going through high school, and if anyone knows what prednisolone is, it's a... A steroid and I was on 50 milligrams a day and I looked like a beach ball yeah. like it was terrible because it just made you want to eat all the time and I was moody and I was sick and yeah. I just wasn't and you're going you through know. that age where body image is just paramount yeah so and you get teenage like, yeah. boys that are let's be honest not the nicest mm. sometimes like in teenage girls too don't get me wrong and so that was really tricky so I sort of isolated myself quite a lot and got sort of I got a lot more depressed through winter when I couldn't ride as much because it was darker, obviously. Yep. But anyway, um, so it got to a point where I was giving myself two needles a week, self-injections from trying different medications, trying to find stuff that would work because I really didn't want to be on the pred anymore because it was not fun. Yep. I still take it if I have to, but just like a short, sharp dose and yep. that gets me through. So, yeah, anyway, now I have infusions once a month at the hospital, which I actually had yesterday. Yep. So I had to sit in there for... Two, three hours, do paperwork. Actually, really productive when I'm in there because no one bothers me. <laughs> Works out well. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and that's so much better. Um, you sort of got to plan trips and stuff like that, you know, if you need it, bring it forward or move it back. But, yep. yeah, that was tricky. So it wasn't until sort of probably year 12, everything had settled down and I'd sort of started to lose a lot of weight, you know, because it got to the point where I was riding and I remember crying to mum one day, like, I just feel fat. I just feel ugly like makes me want to cry just just um thinking about that sort of time but yeah come out the other side and I mean I don't reckon half the people I went to high school would recognize me today what was your mum's advice to you at that time what sort of support did she give you it was really tricky because it really hurt mum to see me like that and like when I was first diagnosed you know she she was quite upset about it and I was like well at least I don't have cancer or or something like that like Mm. there's so many people so worse off than what we were um, and she just wanted, you know, her to have it, not me sort of thing. So it was really tricky, but she was so great. And that's why I think my parents gave me so many opportunities with the horses yep. and they could see that I really loved it. So, yep. so horses just keeping just, me busy. Obviously your, your mindset at the time, you're in a pretty dark sort of place, but having that one thing and finding something that worked for you, that yeah. was the key to helping you get through that tough time. Yeah, definitely. And I've had a lot of success with the horses in my time, which has made everything worth it. You know, and and you grow up. I mean, obviously priorities change. My priorities now are very different to when I was sixteen. Yeah, yeah. But um, they really. I mean, without sounding crazy, you know, you talk to your horse, spend time with your horse, yep. and it was someone that didn't care what you looked like. They just cared how you treated them and what you did with them. And mm. I mean, I wasn't. I was sort of angry for a while, and sometimes I took that out of my horse, which wasn't fair. 
Um, don't get me wrong, I definitely had dark times and, and I'm a very competitive person, which sometimes <laughs> had its downfalls as well. Obviously, yep. it helped me a lot, yep. um, made me really determined, but, you know, I really liked to do well because I didn't feel like I was good at anything else Yeah, sort of thing. It was sort of, I feel like it was my identity. Mm, okay. You know. Yeah. And you say, like, you know, talking to your horse and things like yeah. that. Aren't animals <laughs> awesome like being therapeutic? Yeah. Like, we, we got a dog two years ago, and I hadn't had a dog for years. And just, you have these conversations with them, and you've got to remind yourself every now and again that that animal has never spoken a word to you. Yeah. But yet, they still seem to interact with you. And yeah. I don't know, it's like you're talking to them, like you're having a conversation. And Exactly. I don't know. It's like they have their own personalities. Oh, they do. I think, you know, humans could probably learn a bit from that. Sometimes if people just listen rather than talking, which yeah. my wife will think that's it's quite ironic saying <laughs> that, but um, you know, just just listening. Sometimes just having someone to talk to. That's yeah. where I think animals are so magical. Like they yeah. just they just love you, and they're not going to judge you no matter what you tell oh, them or what you do. Or, definitely, yeah. you know. And um and going through high school as well because I was from a farm. I didn't actually really have any other kids my age that I was friends with that were from a farm. Yep. So a lot of people didn't understand farm life. Like I had lots of friends come out, and Dad would teach them to drive a manual and. And, you know, that sort of thing would just go in the middle of a paddock. And, yep. and it was always funny because I'd grown up with things. I didn't give it a second thought, but someone would come out and be like, oh, look at the baby lambs. Or they'd yep. be so mesmerized because they just yep. wouldn't understand, you know, I guess what I'd grown up with. But um, And that made it tricky. I felt quite isolated in that sort of regard because there wasn't um, anyone else sort of riding like I was yep. within my friend group either. Um, and it got to the point where I'd sort of get stuck stop getting invited to parties because I'd never be able to go because I always had a horse competition. Yeah, right. Always riding. So that kind of side of it was isolating. Like I remember year 11 and 12, I'm pretty sure I spent all of my lunches sort of in the art rooms just doing homework, trying to stay on top of everything so I could ride. And it was just easier. You were pretty committed then. Yeah, and I just wasn't interested in the BS that goes on. Yep. You know, there's a lot of drama and, I mean, we all had little crushes and stuff, but high school wasn't, wasn't, that for me it's a tricky time isn't it yeah 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 and obviously you know your commitment to your dressage and that did take you a fair way because like i said your 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 diagnosis actually um that qualified you as a a para is it a para athlete para athlete yeah yep yep. Yep. so that was that was a whirlwind that era in my life um so i struggled a lot with gripping my hands um like pain throughout my body and sort of weakness and and it's really hard because so it wasn't just sorry it wasn't just in your hip it was right through oh yeah no i've had it in my collarbones shoulders knees like literally every joint i've had it in um luckily it's not been in my back too much which is good but Mm -hmm. yeah hips and stuff but um yeah so it was interesting so someone sort of put it out to me, you know, maybe you should get graded for para and see how you are with that because that would open a lot of doors for you. And for the level I was riding, that was sort of all I had to do for the classes that I was graded into. So it's basically like a full physio assessment. They test your strength, your flexion, um, all of that sort of thing, your range of movement. And then you're graded. So you get graded into different levels. So I was a grade four, uh, which was like the least... um, the least amount of disability, right, I guess yeah. you'd say. And you yeah. go all the way down to a grade 1A, which might be someone that's got, you know, issues throughout their whole body. Right. It's like heavily yeah. disabled people. Yeah. Um, and, like, you know, you'd see people riding out there with no legs or paraplegics and, and stuff like that, which was really, really motivating. You know, it's like, well, if they can do it, literally mm. anyone can do it. Yep. 
So, yeah, so I was grade four, so I had to do sort of a medium test. So in my grade, there was um, another lady. She had sort of like a fused leg, someone with obviously myself with arthritis. You get sort of legally blind people in grade three and four. The grades have sort of changed a little bit now. And then, yeah, all the way down to people that haven't got limbs and and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. It's all different. But mine was tricky because mine's a forever changing disease. Yeah. Whereas if I sort of had an arm missing, I would have just been the same grade the rest of my life. So I've only got to get done once sort of thing. But yeah, I had to be graded every year to see where I was at. And like some people move up and down. Um, There was a few girls I rode with that had MS. So that was the same. That would change quite a lot for them. Um, Unfortunately, they'd sort of tend to go down the grades, not up the grades. Um, Because obviously sort of progressive diseases like that take more of a toll. So that was a wild ride. So, yeah, I think I had another couple of national titles with the para stuff. And then in 2015, I had the opportunity to represent Australia. um, That was at Hartbury. So that's in the UK. Yep. And that was eye-opening. That was really cool. So we had pool horses, which I was familiar with um, having done inter-schools, which was like 7 to 12 national competition. Yep. And borrowing horses and stuff like that. Yep. So, so you weren't able to take your own horse? No, okay. no. Um, I mean, you could have if you really wanted to, but we didn't have a spare 20 grand to fly oh, a horse yeah. back and forth. It's a big bit of a downer. Yeah, yeah. And <laughs> yeah. then quarantine and time. Yep. And I, I must have been in grade 9 or 10 probably at the time. So obviously trying not to miss too much school. Yeah, yep. <laughs> trying to stay on top of that. But, um, yeah, that was amazing. And my horse's name was Milo. He was a pretty cool lad. And I think we got fifth over there, which yep. was cool. But anyway, so the team of girls um, that we went over there with, we ended up qualifying Australia for their spot at Rio yep. for the Paralympics. Um, and this was sort of around the time where we brought Jay, which was my Grand Prix horse. And he was a real – we called him Professor Jay. Yep. Like he was an awesome horse. But anyway, sort of 20 – when did we lose him? I think it might have been 2015 or 2016. We lost him to colic. Um, so it was sort of around that time of Rio that he died, basically. And so that sort of put it into that. And I stopped riding for sort of 12 months. Um, but I don't regret any of that stuff. I got to meet so many people. And I still have connections with them now. Um, Julia Badham, she was the leader, like the chef to quip of the team. And I go over and help her. She's got an amazing setup, helping yep. people get into power and that sort of thing now. So yep keep in contact with her and all the girls that I competed with. Like, they're still some of my closest friends, which is really great. And obviously, they're all starting to get ready for the next round because we've got Mm. the world championships in between the Paralympics and the Olympics, just like other sports do, I'm sure. So, yeah. So then stopped riding for a little while and I got graded out of para eventually. So once I found my infusions and my medications were sort of all set, I was feeling... A lot better. Which I suppose in the grand scheme of things, it's obviously a bit of a downer that you weren't able to compete in that level. But in the, yeah. the big picture of life, it's probably a bit more important for you to be back on your feet and yeah. healthy and happy in that regard, isn't it? Exactly. And it did allow me to compete at a higher level as what, than what I would have been doing at the para stuff. Yep. Um, like in terms of what movements we had to do. Yep. And I sort of, yeah, had sort of bigger pictures. I think I always wanted to go to the Olympics growing up, you know, as a dressage rider or something, but... I don't really have that interest anymore. Yep. It's funny how life happens and yep. changes. You've got to add up one day. This episode of the pod would not be possible without the support of Sam and the team at Infinite Joinery and Design. 
If you're like me and normally need to get these guys to come in after you stuff up your latest home renovation, here's an idea. Get them in first and save the hassle. Specialising in new home joinery fit-outs, renovations, kitchens, laundries, wardrobes, vanities and solid timber work and project management, Infinite have 3D design software and Sam Malone has over 20 years experience in joinery and project management. Located at 6 Bay Drive, Koiba, come in and have a browse of their colour selection studio or you can find them on Facebook and Instagram. Or you can contact Sam on 0429 291 008 or email sam at infinitejoineryanddesign.com. So don't be like me, get the experts in first and save yourself some money and a fear stressing down from the better half. And just with your arthritis, you say you've sort of got it under control, it doesn't affect you in, because obviously your job would be quite physically demanding at times. Do you find that it it holds you back or it flares up at all or have you got a really good handle on it? It definitely does. I think I just know my body a lot better now. Yep. I know how to take care of myself a lot better. Yep. Um, hydraulics were invented for a reason. Yeah, so. <laughs> that helps. So that helps a lot. Yeah. Um, you know, the tractors and things like that. Obviously, there's a lot of manual stuff still. Um, yeah, it's really interesting. I'm definitely a lot fitter, and I think trying to stay fitter helps as well. It'd be very easy to be like, I'm in pain, I was going to lay in bed and do nothing and yep. eat food because um, I definitely did go through that phase. But I think just staying active and motivated helps everything, you know, knowing what medication you can quickly take if you need it yep. to get you through. So I just know myself a lot better. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes that's the key, isn't it? Not pushing yourself too hard and you know what yeah. you can and can't do. So. Oh, yeah. You definitely feel it like if a really stressful time happens. Yeah. You know, if I, I was organizing the state championships a couple of years ago and like Owen literally had to carry me into the shower and yep. like I was in screaming pain while he's trying to help me undress and get into the shower because you know like the stress of it leading up and then you're on your feet all day and it's um yeah there's weird things it's not always just activity and movement that can hurt it can be like internal stress that comes out in the form of arthritis as yeah, well i think yeah. yeah isn't that funny like i had um kristen a, a, a naturopath i'm not long ago i don't know whether yeah you know she's kristen my naturopath i'm oh, seeing her on friday she's unbelievable <laughs> she is. that's one thing that you know i've learned from her is you know sometimes it's the emotions that are inside yeah. the body can take things out i used to i say i used to and hopefully kristen's listening to this because i've been to her i used to have like shoulder and neck pain um and went and did a little bit of therapy and work work with her and um it was you know something that i probably would have never really considered before but it's sort of more working on what's going on inside you and how yeah. it manifests in physical stuff and i've hardly had any issues with it since so yeah if anyone's listening kristen robertson yeah um yeah look her up she's Second awesome that. yeah she's <laughs> awesome talk to me about um i know when we spoke previously before you were talking about um issues and challenges of being a female in the industry what yeah. sort of challenges have you come up against i think it's it's lots of little things you know it's even just driving a tractor along the road and people are like, oh, there's a girl in there. Or you're working a paddock, oh, there's a girl doing that. Or it was quite hard, I guess, to get out of the shadow of my dad for a little while. Mm-hmm. I was always just sort of dad's little girl on the farm and trying to get taken seriously like, no, actually, I'm, I don't work for dad anymore. I'm out on my own and, you know, Owen and I are doing our own thing. And it was co-agriculture, so it was Caitlin Owen Agriculture. Um and it was our thing, but I was running it because Owen was in Hobart, you know, and trying to get taken seriously, I guess, was a little bit of a challenge. And just comments, you know, like the stereotypical ones, you get the looks and and that sort of thing. And, and guys really don't like being outmanned by anyone, do yep. they? So, <laughs> yep. um, you know, I'd always like to 
be one step ahead of the boys, I guess. Just that other competitive side of me. Yeah. And if anyone told me I couldn't do something, you damn well bet I did it. So <laughs> <laughs> And better than them for all Yeah, this. yeah. And so it was just sort of more like letting results speak for themselves, I guess, as well. And obviously like when the award happened and there was a lot of media around that, so many girls come forward and was just like, we are so glad that there are more people like us. And you don't realise that there are lots more out there like you as well. Yep. Because there are a lot of females in agriculture. But I was going to ask you that. Yeah, yeah, but they're not as seen. Yeah. I feel um, definitely now, but probably back when I started or for mum's sort of era and nan's era, they weren't valued. They were always, you know, probably the brains behind the operation when the guy was sitting at the table making plans and stuff or helping do books, which was obviously very traditional for them to do. Yeah. But um, yeah, there's lots of comments or looks or... Do you think it's People something? You out. Would you say that it's it's a, like a sexist attitude, or do you think it's just because it's been such a it, it was like a bit of a um, an odd sight to see a female sort of yeah. attractor and that sort of thing? Yeah. Do you think there was any sort of malice in it, or do you think it's sort of more that they were just used to seeing guys in those roles? Yeah, I, I agree with you there. I think a lot of it too was a lot of it come from the older generation, you know, where it was traditionally that would never have happened. You know, and they took a little while to get their heads around it. Yep. I didn't find I had issues as much from people my own age yep. or younger people, and so many people thought it was fabulous yep. and tried to give me every opportunity they could. Because times have changed now. Like, there's so many women working, driving dump trucks in the mines oh, and yeah. all these male-dominated industries. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. It's certainly turned for the best. Definitely. And like yeah. how there was... um. When I got my truck license, I got a semi-license, but when I got that, the instructor I had, he was absolutely awesome. But there was another older instructor there and he was horrible yeah you know and he wasn't even my instructor but he still made me that uncomfortable yeah you know and it's just it, it's really hard because if you say something you're the girl that's you know can't handle it or can't take it yeah but if you don't say something it makes it worse for the next person yeah um so you've got to really pick your battles yeah i think and you were talking there before about females in industry sort of not being seen and heard. Do you feel that you've got a role there to play in sort of opening those doors for, for those sort of people to be coming out? Yeah, definitely. And it's um it's really tricky, even just talking to Amy, my mentor, like she come from a massive farm in Canada, um, but the parents never allowed her to go farming because she was a girl. She was yep. not allowed to take over the family farm and the farm getting ended up getting split between her two brothers. Yep. And there's so many cases like that where... Um, like I actually do have an older brother, but he's not interested in the farm like I was. Um, and he's off doing other things now, but you know, maybe if he had been interested, maybe I might not have got the opportunity. Yeah. I don't know. Um, I don't think my parents are like that, but there are so many situations that are. Yeah. And a lot of people on the mainland, you know, they're just the farmer's wife. Like, why can't we actually be the farmer? Yeah. And for a long time, a woman actually couldn't refer to themselves as a farmer. They, had to, they could be a grazier, but they couldn't actually be a farmer. I think it was until 1994. I might have to double check on that one. But yeah, farmer actually, sorry, a female couldn't actually write legally that they were a farmer. Yeah. It's sort of like a, I don't know, because I'm not in that in that industry, but it's sort of like a bit of a medieval attitude, yeah. isn't it? Like, I don't... Yeah. You, you're a human being. There's nothing mm. physically that you can't do that, yeah. that a guy could do that you, you can't do. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, yeah. Especially like you say, there's hydraulics now. You know, the things that there's um, infrastructure there for, you're not doing that. You're just operating the same as anyone else could. And, you know, a exactly. lot of the physical, you know, jobs of farming, anyone who's fit and able can do, you know, regardless yeah. of their gender. So it's a, it's an interesting thing. It's, it's more like 
that's just the way it always has been. So. Yeah, it was just changing that stereotype, wasn't yeah. it? You know, like, and everything's progressed with it. Like, there's so many other industries that have had the same challenges. Yep. Um, yeah, I don't think we're alone. Agriculture's not alone in that one. Yeah. But I think they're really making such an effort now. Yep. And how did it affect you when you did see the looks and the the comments and things like that? Did you take it to heart or did it motivate you? Or Oh, it motivated me. Yep. Yeah, definitely. And I think, like, you know, you'd kind of just be like, well, bugger them. You know, they're not out here doing it. So until someone's going to come and do it better than me or, you know, prove me wrong, which don't get me wrong, I definitely did get proved wrong sometimes. Yep. Um, you know, I was just going to keep doing my own thing, try and stay in my own lane, try yep. not to stir any trouble. Yep. And it didn't affect your confidence at all? No. No? No. Because I had dad and pop around me. You know, the the people whose opinion mattered supported me. Yeah. So that's sort of... That's just what I had to remember. Yeah. You know, everyone that wants me to be here and is helping me to be here, you know, they love me and care for me and I know I've got them. And if, you know, some random person made a comment, obviously you'd kind of take it to heart and then you just sort of had to remember they don't know me. They don't know what I've been through. They, you know, I don't know them. Like everyone judges everyone so much. Mm. And, um, I mean, we still do it. We still get jealous of people. You know, we still wish we were in a different circumstance. Everyone has has those thoughts. Mm. It's um. Everyone could improve their life in some way, like oh, you know, yeah. and that's probably a good thing to to be striving to try and improve. But there also comes a point where you've got to be happy with what you've got as well. Like yeah. if this is if this is all I've got, am I happy with this? Yeah, this is fantastic. Or if it's not, what do I need to change? Okay, that's what I need to go and yeah. do. But we've just I don't know. We've just got to really value what we've got a lot of the time. I think. Yeah, and I I feel like every negative comment that someone makes comes from jealousy mm. to some degree. You yeah. know, and like I find myself being like thinking something and you're like, oh, I'm just jealous of them or, mm, you know. Yeah. And you need to be like, you know, instead of saying something, you need to be like, good on you. Yeah. You know, yep. try and like say the opposite of what you're thinking. Yep. And you've got to swallow your pride. Yeah. Something that took me a little while to learn. 100%. But, it's, 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 it is true what you say. Sometimes, you know, when you see that people are negative about everyone, it's because they're not happy with themselves yeah. for some reason. And, you know, we've all got to pull ourselves up sometimes oh, yeah. you're right when you look at something or you see something on social media if you your first um, instinct is to to judge well sometimes it might be because gee i wish i was doing that yeah that's not a excuse to you know run them down it's more well okay well if you want to do it go and do it yeah you know go and get that if you can yeah and really decide what's important to you yeah you know like coming back to like the whole body image thing like you see instagram thing and you're like god i wish i had a body like that yep but I'm not willing to do what they do to get a body like that because mm. that's not healthy and that doesn't fit with my life at the minute. So yep. then you sort of be like, oh, well, it doesn't bother me anymore. Yeah. You know, it would be nice, but it's not going to ruin my life. Yeah. Um, talk to us about um, Jordan. Was it important for you to put on a female apprentice? Is that Did that come into your thought pattern at all? Or? Um, no, it definitely wasn't just because she was female. So um, I've known Jordan since she was like eight years old. Yep. We used to be in the same pony club and she's um, a ripper of a kid. Anyway, so she came to do work experience on the farm. Um, so Jordan is a hands-on learner, um, more than probably in the classroom. And, yeah, so she'd come out and did some work experience and then, you know, we put her on just as a casual to help, when you know, when we were shearing or lambing or whatever and then kind of snowballed and she did a cert to an ag. Uh, so she went to Olveston High and did a cert to an ag through Sheffield Farm School. And could really see that that's where she wanted to go. And she was really enjoying it. And she used to be really shy. And to see how far she's come now is really awesome. Yep. 
And um, yeah, so we just put her on a casual and sort of the end of year 12 was coming up and we knew with buying the new farm and stuff and Owen's still in Hobart, we were going to need help. So trying to find the right help can be tricky. And the idea of an apprenticeship come around and, and she was there and she worked hard and um, you know, if it had been a young boy, it would have been the same opportunity. Yep. Um, she was just the right person. She for that was, role. yeah. Yep. Yeah. And she's like a little sister to me, you know. Yep. And I'm, I want to be as good to her as what my dad was to me. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> it's really funny, you know, when I used to slack off when I was an apprentice, and then um, obviously mum and dad were paying me, and then now that I'm paying Jordan and she's doing an apprentice, I hate it when she slacks off. <laughs> you know, I'm like, I'm paying paying you to do stuff, you know, yeah. and so. But then you think back, I was an apprentice too, and I know what that was like, yeah. which I think gives me a bit of an advantage because I know where she's been. Like, I, I know those shoes that she's in now. Yeah. So you've just got to be like, all right, just let her go. And obviously, um, you know, making sure they're not spending time on phones and stuff yep. like that. And, um, you know, phones need to be there because I need to be able to communicate mm. with her and stuff like that. But yep. just finding the right way to go around things and obviously trying to keep her safe as well and yep. done a lot of work with work health safety and making sure we've got all the policies and stuff in place and yep. um, really trying to cover ourselves from all angles. Yeah. So it's been a big learning curve having Jordan um, and we've had to have lots of hard discussions. You know, I would try and teach in a way that didn't suit her to start with and um, really had to put more time into how I did teach her. Yeah. Um, and that, that's sort of a new age attitude, isn't it? Because yeah. I just imagine back in the day, all the old farms would have just taught you their way and it was up to you to oh, pick yeah. it up. Oh, yeah, their way of the highway. Sometimes, yeah, sometimes it's it's up to the, the teacher to adapt to the student. In, everyone learns differently, don't yeah. they? Some people are more visual. Some people you've got to tell two or three times. Yeah, and, yeah that's awesome. Exactly. And then, like, giving all my horse riding lessons, like, I've learnt that through all the different kids and different personalities. Yep. Um, and I got to do a cert for in leadership and management through rural youth which is, that's a whole another part of my life as well. Yep. Um, yeah, and so you learn, you know, the different personalities, different how people learn, how to communicate, and, you know, it's it's a lot of trying that. That didn't work. What else can we try? And, you know, keep going through the list until you really figure it out. Yep. Um, and obviously communicating with family, you've got to be sensitive with sometimes as well. Yep. Because you definitely say things to your family that you wouldn't say to other people. Absolutely, yeah. The filter comes off sometimes, <laughs> oh, yeah. doesn't it? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Just the last one on um, on farming and as, as, as far as females in farming, what's the main piece of advice that you would give a female that wants to get into farming? If you want to do it, just do it. Yep. I think um, there are so many opportunities out there. There are so many people willing to help. There's so much education and knowledge. Like there's no reason that anybody can't get into agriculture. Yeah. And I think obviously farming is a part of agriculture, but you don't have to be a farmer to be in agriculture. You know, you could be going to uni and you could be in the lab. You could be working with different types of seed and creating new types of seed. You can be an, a lawyer or an accountant and be involved with agriculture. You yeah. know, like there's forestry, beekeeping, you know, like it's an endless list, shearing, um, you know, there's so many opportunities within agriculture. You've just got to find where you fit mm-hmm. and that can be the hard type, hard thing to do sometimes, you know, whether you want to work in a dairy, um, you know, or whether you hate livestock and mm. you just solely want to work in a tractor, yeah. there's something out there for you. Sometimes people think that some of the work's not fun. I think, and that's such an old age thinking. Yeah. Um, because things are so much easier than they used to be. Yeah. 
So you've just, it might take a while to find where you fit, but you will fit somewhere. Yeah. How scary is it in this day and age how much we rely on modern technology? It's not till your phone dies or the Wi-Fi or power goes off that you realise you'd be lost without it. Well, recently my phone decided in its old age to die and stop charging, and on a weekend no less. So what do you do? Rather than waiting to speak to the network providers or retail outlets, which can be painful within itself, give Brad or Katie a call at Greenies Apple Repairs. That's what I did, and they had my old phone as good as new in hours. Greenies take care of iPhones, iPods, iPads, and pretty much everything else, and they won't cost you an arm and a leg. So next time you're stuck back in the dark ages with no technology, contact Greenies Apple Repairs on 0401 229 220, or you can contact them at www.greeniesrepairs.com.au or find them on Facebook. Now just to get onto this busted screen. Now, the next bit of advice I want to get from you is a bit of relationship advice. So you spoke about, and this is if you're comfortable speaking yeah, about yeah. this. Um, so obviously your partner, Owen, he lives three and a half hours away. And yeah. to some couples, that would probably be fantastic because it cuts down on the <laughs> arguments. But obviously trying to maintain a relationship and run a business yeah. from that sort of distance apart, I'd imagine that's not something that you can just put your head down and mow through and you know it just works itself out. I'd imagine you guys have to put certain things in place as yep. a couple to make sure that you don't, one, kill each other, yeah. or two, separate, you know? So yep. how do you go about it? So Owen and I met through Rural Youth. Yep. Um, so we met at AgFest 2019, and um, he's six years older than me, so I guess the thought didn't come across my mind, and um, he had a partner at the time anyway and, and whatnot, and I was just living my best life. Yep. And um, it was the end of the year, you know, he sent me a message, and I kind of went from there I'm an old soul like I'm 24 now but people never guess my age yeah I guess um and so you don't notice it between Owen and I and he has his own building business you know very successful yeah driven like me and you know he's just a lovely person yeah and so it always helps in a partner yeah <laughs> definitely <laughs> yeah. so I was quite naive I think going into the relationship because I I think I might have had one boyfriend you know before that and not a lot of relationship experience at all. Mm-hmm. I was young. Obviously, he was a lot older, so had a lot more experience and had lived his days, done his party life and whatnot. Yep. Um, and and I was very focused on where I wanted to go. And for me, it was always someone had to fit into my world um, because a farm is not something you can walk away from and just drop at the, you know, the drop of a hat. So, yeah, to start with... Um, you know, it was all beautiful and I think he definitely knew how hard the distance would be, but I had no idea. I knew it would be hard, but I didn't know it was going to be as hard as it was, um, which did cause a lot of tension, a lot of tension. Like I remember hysterically crying on my study floor being like, I don't know if I can do this. Like, I love you so much, but I feel like I had a part-time boyfriend. Yep. You know, I would see for two days, three days a week. Um, and then I wouldn't see him the rest. And, uh, the thing I probably struggled with the most was it was our farming venture together and, and we agreed upon it. You know, he had to keep building and I was on the farm, but I really resented him if I was having a really hard day on the farm yep. that he wasn't there to help me. Yeah. Um, so that's been really tricky and that's something that Mel's helped me with a lot, trying to think of some strategies to go around that and then obviously like you said we're trying to have a relationship we're trying to be business partners you know we're trying to have a long distance relationship which is a whole other kettle of fish yeah so yeah 
sometimes I felt like it would have been easier if he lived on the other side of the world. Yeah. Um, because life, you know, I just do what I needed to do, be what I wanted to be, you know, and I'd get to see him whenever and then we'd move in and marry and live happily ever after. <laughs> <laughs> the Australian um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So that was really tricky. Um, now it's a lot better. Don't get me wrong, it still has moments, yep. but we've really found what's working. Yeah. Um, and what is working? Like what sort of things do you do? Yeah, so it's a lot around communication yep. is everything in your relationship. Yep. Um, I mean, you would know that obviously yep. being married and stuff, but it's... um. I was really, <laughs> I would just want him to know things, you know. I just want him to do things without me having to ask him or tell him to do things, yep. you know. He's and, a bloke, remember? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and so, and I found it was hard even though, like even last year, you know, we'd been together over two years, but I felt like we barely knew each other and how to be around each other because you'd get, you'd just get comfortable with like sleeping in the same bed and being together on the weekend and then he'd be gone again or I would have to leave and then you get used to sleeping by yourself again and then it was just it was a roller coaster yep. it was an emotional roller coaster is the best way to describe it yeah um but we both wanted the same things you know and he's been on farm and he worked in Canada for a couple of years and has great life experiences um and we both wanted to be on the farm you know, I wanted to get married and have kids and give kids the same upbringing that I was fortunate to have because I just thought it was the best thing ever. Yeah. Um, and he wanted that too. So we knew that we had the same goals. So then you just had to work around how to get there. Yep. So, you know, being really planned in our diaries. So we'd have, I think we had like every weekend for like six months at a time figured out where we'd be, what we'd doing, you know, who was up, who was down south, yep. where we were. Because we really had to plan, and um, my life was definitely busier than his life. Yep. So he had to fit into my world, which... Looking... So he's got more property down there, has he? Uh, so he lives with his dad on 20 acres at Kettering. Yep. yep. Um, well, Owen actually technically has more clothes up here now, so I would say he's moved in up here. <laughs> <laughs> that's <laughs> um, the key marker. So that's good. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so he's from 20 acres down there, and they just run some little breeder cows. Um, but, you know, he's worked up on farms at Cressy and, yep. and stuff like that, so he knows his way around the farm, no problem at all. Yep. Um, yeah, so talking and talking about how we were feeling, which, um, I struggled with because I always feel like I had so many more issues in the relationship than he had because he was a bloke and didn't want to talk about his feelings for one. Um, but two, he knew what the relationship was probably going to be like for a while. Um, and I'm, I'm the sort of person that when someone tells me something, I'm, I really grab onto it. So, you know, to start with, he'd be like, all right, you know, we do it for 12 months and then I'll move up and then we can live together and it'll be okay. Yeah. Well, we're three and a half years in now. Yep. Things change. You know, <laughs> and he's still back and forth up and down the highway and yep. like I won't see him until Easter. You know, I saw him Sunday. So it's, um, it's tricky, but I th- I'm definitely a lot more solid. And when I'm busy, I'm good. It was like, it was more in winter, you know. You'd be that sort of July, August time when the farm's quiet and you'd just be lonely. Yep. And um, you'd be checking sheep or you'd be checking irrigators in the middle of the night and you'd just be lonely and you felt like all the weight was on your shoulders to not bugger it up, you know. And he, and he was – it was never anything that Owen did. It was more like unex, unspoken expectations that I had that gave myself disappointment that could have been avoided. Yep. Which I'm definitely getting better at. 
And I think I recognize it, which I think is the first thing. Yeah. Um, and don't get me wrong, there was still stuff that he had to work on as well. Yeah. Um, but I needed to be able to function without him there yep. in a good way. Yeah. So in your own mind, it was more like, you've chosen to have your relationship set up like this so you can't get mad at him for not being there because you've accepted that he, he can't be there at the Yeah, moment. yeah. But I would always get mad when, you know, a marker when he was supposed to move up went and was gone and yep. he wasn't moved up. Yep. And, and then the conversations always got a bit emotional because, you know, it wasn't a clean-cut thing. If he had just worked a nine-to-five job, you know, he could have transferred, it would have been easy. Yeah. But he had his own building business you know he had so many projects on the go and then COVID happened and then there's delays and then there's trying to deal with owners which aren't always easy to deal with um and it's just sort of been delay after delay and I really feel like we're on the home stretch now yep so it's like you know you get itchy feet and you're like we're so close so yeah. I was going to ask you, like, long-term what the plan is, but I don't want to ask you what the date is because I know that's going to backfire. So <laughs> he'll get here at some point. Yeah. Stage. Well, he knows I don't want to ring, so you yep. better hurry up on that one. <laughs> <laughs> if you're listening, Owen. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we've got enough debt together, you know, a few million dollars. That yep. would be enough to, you know, keep anyone together. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but I think that's the thing is the life experience that he had that I didn't have when we got together, I think that was the biggest disadvantage to our relationship yep. for sure. Yep. And, um, you know, I was always growing up and I was like, I'm going to get married at this age. I'm going to have my first kid at this age. I'm going to do this, you know, yep. and my life does not work and like that. And life happens. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> it changes so much. Yeah. So, um, yeah, but we're in such a good place at the minute. I know. I just, I love that man so much. Awesome. Sounds yeah. like you better get down to the ring shop, Owen, yeah. just quietly. <laughs> um, talk to us about um, your, your friendships and relationships, because I know, yep. obviously, you said so so much in farming is dictated by time and doing things at the right time, yeah. and obviously the weather is the one thing that you can't oh, control. Yeah. How do your friendships suffer, or how do you maintain them, I suppose? A lot. I think quality over quantity, Yep. you know, um, and it's... I don't really keep in contact with anyone from school anymore. Um, I mean, like, we're all still friends on Facebook and whatnot. You see what everyone's doing, but I don't actually see anyone from school. Um, I've got a best friend that I've had for, like, 11 years or so now. She was from Exeter originally, which she actually is in a relationship with a farmer up North Mountain now. Um, Shout out to Lucy. She's an absolute legend. Um, And she's been my one friend that's been there through everything. Like... We were friends when I was young and healthy and riding. She was there when I was, like, going through all my shit times. Um, And, yeah, and then come out the other side of it. And then, you know, we're there for each other. And I've got a few other friends. And, um, yeah, it's really just having people you know are going to be there. You know, I think you – I feel like I've got so many acquaintances or so many mates, but – you know i've got a handful of best friends and that's what matters so Mm. through rural youth in particular so i joined rural youth at the end of 2018 and um that changed everything for me because i was finally around a massive group of people you found your tribe yeah yeah that all were you know they weren't all working on farms but we had similar mindsets you know and it led to so many networking opportunities which has been great so that side of things is like, that's where I found my people. Yeah. You know, I was never a part sort of of clubs or, you know, particular groups. I was a bit of a floater in school. Yep. Um, but yeah, it's definitely quality over quantity. Yeah. And, um, and also realizing that 
people aren't going to be in your life forever. You know, I've definitely gone through a different few different groups as well where you become good mates and then, you know, you sort of drift away and you find a new group of mates and then you sort of drift away. But they've all helped you grow to some capacity. Yeah. But then sometimes you outgrow people. Yeah. And as hard as that is, I don't want to surround myself with people that don't make me better. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, you know, there's, I'm all for helping people and helping people get to where they want to go in life as well. But I just was in this growth period where I needed people, you know, that would make me want to do better. Yeah. You know, I didn't need any bad influences or... And you soon learnt who those people were. Yeah. And you just sort of have to be like, you know, I like you, but I can't hang around you anymore. Yeah, right. So, yeah. yeah, that was tough. You talked about, like, finding your relationships and your people through rural youth. Obviously, they'd have a good understanding of the lifestyle that you now live and, and yeah. the demands and things. Did you did you find that you did lose some relationships because they just didn't understand the commitment oh, that's required? definitely. Yep. Yeah. And that, and that they sort of got frustrated by that, did they? Yeah, I think it was like frustrations on both sides yep. because, you know, um, and even now, even being a farm owner at the young age that we are, there's still people understand it, but there's I can't really find a lot of other people in the same boat to relate to. Yeah. So you get frustrated because, or you know, I might be out doing something and then, you know, an irrigator breaks down, you know, and then... I miss tea, you know, people have dinner planned and, you know, I spend two hours trying to fix an irrigator or something like that. And that frustrates me just as much as it frustrates them, Um, you know, and it's been really interesting, you know, obviously my own mental health, but then obviously understanding other people's mental health as well has been something that I've had to get a lot better at. Yeah. So I might finally have a free night and have stuff planned with someone and then they cancel because they can't do it or something happens and it's like well I finally cleared one night in my very busy diary (laughs) you know and I'm trying to (laughs) I've never been someone to go with the flow like I've never been a super cruisy person but you kind of got to learn to be yeah long structure and routine yeah but like farming's the most unpredictable thing yeah you know well yeah buckets down with rain tomorrow and probably changes your whole day yeah exactly um you know and it can one weather event can ruin a whole season. Yeah. You know, it's, um, you got to learn to go with the punches. Yeah. I was going to ask you about that. Tell me about the weather. I'm sure farmers <laughs> talk a hell of a lot about the weather. So I think I've got like five different weather apps on my phone. I was going to say, you, you, you scan probably got, through each. And just pick the one that you like the best. Yeah. <laughs> but like, that's got the least amount of rainfall. Let's yeah. hope that's right. Yeah. Um, yeah. It depends what time of year it is. Um, we had 23 mil over the last couple of days and that's been actually really lovely. I don't yep. have to irrigate at all this week. Yep. Um, I really appreciate not having to irrigate because they're irritators, not irrigators. Yeah, yep. Um, but, yeah, it's um, when everything works, it's fabulous. But you might be trying to say we're lambing in winter, which, I mean, it's our own choice, but it's our only time of year that we have time to do it. Um, and it's pouring down with rain and you're like, this is horrible, mm. you know. Or, um, you know, you've got a beautiful crop of beans or something and a hailstorm comes through, can wipe the whole thing out. You know, it could be three months of work to get the crop to that stage, gone overnight. Um, We're really lucky in Tassie, though, we don't have a lot of major threats. You know, you look at the mainland and they're either literally, like you look at some of the cereal crops over there, they're either drought and there's nothing growing or they're completely flooded and underwater. Mm. Yeah. We don't seem to have that extreme. Yep. That they have, you yeah, know, like a good mix. Yeah, and we're not threatened by 
fire where we are. We're not threatened by flooding where we are. So where we live in particular is a bloody good spot to be. Um, And you've got to remember that, yeah, you might not have wanted that rain, but someone had worse. You know, it's done more damage to someone else's property. Yeah. Um, you know, wind is the worst and, you know, if you've got to have sprays go on, you know, you can't have too much wind and you've got to make sure that the humidity is not too high and it's, um, there's so many things that play into it that you don't think about. Yeah. yeah. Or, you know, the average person doesn't think about yeah. for sure. What would you say has been the worst sort of weather event that you've experienced and the, the yeah. worst impact that it's had on the farm? Yeah, there was, um... Like, obviously, you probably heard about the potato shortage yep. that has been going on. Yep. So No chips in the shops anymore. No, <laughs> and it's been really tricky in particular because America had a drought, so their crop was down, and then Europe was flooded, so their crop was down, so you couldn't even bring in potatoes from around the world. Yep. Um, when we had a meeting months ago back when we were planting, you know, Australia needs about 1.3, 1.4 million tonnes of potatoes, and what they had forecasted for the country was going to be flat to be 900,000 tonnes. Yep. Um, so you're already shortage, have a shortage, add that on to the year before mm. that shortage. Um, so yeah, we had like end of last year there we had, you know, that hundred mil that we had and the floods sort of in Latrobe and that sort of thing. That was pretty, for us, it was okay. Um, we we're really lucky to have good ground, but some people's crops got wiped out. Yeah. Um, the year before that was probably, I think I found that a little bit harder the year before. I think... Coming into last season, we were a bit more probably prepared. I think everyone was a lot more prepared. And just knowing that, you know, well, we're going to just have to plant things later. You know, they might come out later. Um, and because that's the issue is because potatoes are a, such a long crop in comparison to others, yep. you can't bog them into the ground and be trying to bog them out at the other end. They're going to rot and they're just going to die. And you put a lot of money in potatoes, mm. you know, trying to get them going. Like they've got a lot of fertilizer under them. A lot of work. Obviously, it depends on varieties and stuff as well. Yep. But um, so that was pretty hard to get dry spots to get stuff in. Obviously, only young in my farming career still, so I was lucky not to have seen a lot of really bad things that have happened, you know, in the past. But I think the overall, the last two seasons have probably been the hardest that I remember for a long time. Um, for myself, tricky, but not, you know, not life changing. But for so many other people, yeah. Definitely, mainland or here. Yeah. Um, so, what are the plans for the future? Like, aside from Owen moving up and, and getting married and having a family, what's um? And I know you're in a bit of a holding pattern at the moment. Yeah. Do you still have a couple of little goals and things that you like long term things that you want oh, to yeah. work on? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, what's your dream event? I suppose. Like, where do you want I to think get it to? A dream life, like for Owen and I, would be a thousand acres, prime cropping land. You know, yep. sort of around the same area. We love where we live. Yep. Um, you know, have a couple of kids running around, still be riding, still have horses. Um, I just want to be the best that I can be at what I do. And I think really trying to just grow in a sustainable way. And I think like mum and dad have been very sustainable farmers over the years. The end goal, you know, is to be able to leave the farm to our kids, you know, in the same condition or better than what we found it. Yep. Um, and it not be degraded and that sort of thing. But, yeah, just keep on doing what we're doing. And we just want to grow. You know, we want to implement so much technology and that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, keep writing. I love what I do and I'm not really sure what the future holds, what might be different, might might look not look different. It might look a lot different. Um, 
yeah, I think I can't picture doing anything else. Yeah. That's for sure. But I still would like to do a lot of travel. Yeah. Um, you know, like Owen got to do an exchange to Canada and worked over there for two years, which obviously I've not had the opportunity to do because the farming thing happened really quickly. But I'd still really love to go work on a station for a couple of months and experience the harvest on the mainland for a couple of months. Yep. And well, I'm better move up to run the farm. Then. Yeah, go and do that. <laughs> that's it. And, um, and that's He's what we hate. This. <laughs> <laughs> it's right. He feels the pressure from everyone. Ah, it's good. not just me. Good. He's used to it. I've never met him, but I've already got him under the pump. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Um, being just being able to live a comfortable lifestyle, you know. And obviously, farming unpredictable. You don't know what's going to happen, but trying to be the best planners we can be. Being yeah. financial, obviously, is a big one so that we can afford to buy more land. Um, I'd really love to be involved a lot more around the education space as well. So yep. I sit on a couple of panels um, to do with that as well. So I'm not sure what that would look like, but we would like to start, you know, sort of an Airbnb or some sort of thing where we can do farm tours and a bit more of that paddock to plate. Yep. Just closing the gap, I guess. Yep. Yeah. Just help getting people into the industry yep. no matter what their age or gender is yeah i think it's just so wonderful and you kind of when you're really passionate about something you really want to like share your passion and you kind of like yeah. force that on other people you know like i get talking i just get on a rant i'll just <laughs> i'll start talking really quick and i'll be like powering through it and it's usually when you're passionate about something, yeah yeah, away yeah. You go. yeah yeah so um this might seem like a random question how would you cope if the kids didn't want to get into farming if it wasn't their passion if they wanted to go and do something completely different yeah i think it's a really tricky one you want your kids to be happy i mean like i don't have any kids at the minute um you know but from mum and dad what they've told me you know you always want your kids to be happy you want them to do what they want to do um i didn't feel pressure to be on the farm but i also didn't want to be the generation to not be on the farm because okay. even throughout my all my cousins and stuff there wasn't a hell of a lot of interest so you know it'd be really nice to see that sixth seventh eighth generation happen but if they didn't want to do it you've kind of just got to accept it and then maybe find the right person maybe you can find a young couple at that point in your life and give them the opportunity to take it on Yep. And they start it for their own family for their first generation yep. sort of thing. I so. imagine that would still be pretty fulfilling for yeah. you as well. Yeah. Like a lot of that happens within share farming with dairies and stuff like that. Um, you know, I think you've always just got to remember where you come from, what opportunities you were given. Yep. And, um, and yeah, try and help someone else out along the way. Yeah. Awesome. A um, couple more questions and then Go I'll be it. finished <laughs> with you and then you can get back to the farm. Because I know it's screaming out for you. What's been your proudest achievement so far? And this can be in life or farming. What are you oh, most proud of? Crikey. Um, not killing anyone. It's <laughs> <laughs> always a good yeah, start as a, a good as a boss. Yeah. Um, I think I'm really proud of myself and how far I've come. Um, probably like a biggest achievement accolade sort of thing was in 2020, I was named the Australian Apprentice of the Year. Mm-hmm. And that was, I mean, it was massive to win the Tassie one. And then the national one, which was actually announced on National Agriculture Day in November, um, which obviously has led me to so many things, including probably being here today. So I think the award was one thing, but the amount of promotion that I've been able to do off that has really made me so proud. Yeah, to know that I've helped a lot of people into the industry or, you know, solidified other people's place within the industry that they felt like they were in the right spot. Yeah. Um, all the work that I've been able to do with that and even, you know, talking at local clubs or schools, all of that sort of stuff is probably what's made me proudest. Yeah. 
And I think yeah. another thing that you should be proud of as well is like for someone like me who knows absolutely nothing about farming, and this is why I love to get so many different people on, is there will be people that listen to this that have no idea about, you know, farming yeah. and, you know, one, the pressures that you're under or and the rewards that come from it and things like that. So it might even open up, you know, new pathways for them, for people to, to think, well, that's something that I might like to get into. So Yeah, definitely. And that's, um, you know, people complain about the price of buying stuff in the supermarket but don't see you know, on the other end, how much love and hard work has gone into producing it and how much that we face input costs going up, yep. but we don't get price rises. Mm. You know, all the the big fish get the profit out of it, not yep. the little fish. Yeah. Um, so that's been really tricky. Like our, just to go on a little tangent here for you. You're right. Um, like You'd be for, surprised who listens to this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like prices for crops and stuff, like they don't go on CPI. Yeah. They don't go up like that. Everything's so... Um, fluctuant on what it's doing and it goes up really quickly but won't come down quickly yep. you know fertilized prices obviously everyone saw what happened to fuel and that sort of thing um, you know and that put a massive toll on a lot of people so you've really got to sort of make your business a bit more bulletproof yeah and um, it's a, I have an example in sort of one of my talks that I do um, a couple of years ago we were getting paid about $350 a ton for potatoes out of that same ton of potatoes, Maccas would make about $22,000 Wow! from selling large fries. Bloody hell. Like that's rough numbers, yep. but you can, you know, you can see that we don't, we don't bank that money. Yeah. You know? Yep. So. But without you, those potatoes aren't there to begin with. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, there's always someone with more land that doesn't have as tight a margins as you that would probably be willing to take a lower price. Yeah. Um, so I think everyone's got to realise to the value of, of what we produce everyone within the industry. Yeah. Um, obviously, with milk prices, there was a lot of stuff happening with that a while ago. But, mm. um, you know, if anyone ever has any questions, like, I'm so happy to answer them. And most farmers are happy to answer them. They just want to be seen and, and they'll probably start ranting and rumbling like I do. And <laughs> Passionate. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong <laughs> That's with that it, at all. So, yeah. Um, last question for you, Caitlin. What's the best piece of advice that you've been given and where did it come from? I think... Probably from my dad, and he said, just be the best that you can be, you know. He's really taught me to stay in my own lane um, and try and be a more patient, generous and kind person. Um, and I definitely, I'm definitely not the person now that I used to be, and I, I like myself a lot more now yep. than I used to. Yep. Um, but, yeah. I think my dad's probably always had the best advice for me growing up. Yeah, yeah, they're funny like that, parents, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Whether and you it, want to take it or not, sometimes you look back on it and think, yeah, oh, they actually were right. Yeah, and you yeah. don't really take advantage of it till you grow up. Mm, that's right. Yeah. To you until you're of... ready to hear it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's, that's a good Because sometimes you don't want to hear it. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, you've got to be ready for the information. Yeah. Um, that's all I've got for you. I think I've you know, picked your brain. I think you'll have to go home and have a nap after this before you get back to the crops or the or the livestock. But yeah, I just yeah, I've learned so much just from chatting to you and I really, really appreciate you coming in. As I say, you know, just from my limited knowledge, I know how busy you guys are and I'm sure, you know, there's there's certain um things that are on the farm that, you know, you've got to get back to straight away. But I just think your story, as we've touched on, you know, it's 
I think it'll inspire a lot of people, you know, young people, females, anyone that wants to get into into farming. You know, they don't have to be female, they can be young males, but um, it just uh, hopefully it sort of opened a few people's eyes of, you know, what, what you can achieve through that industry. You know, obviously talking about the challenges and things as well, but, you know, breaking stereotypes. I think if somebody just listens to this that thinks, well, I can't get into that because you know, that's just not what, what we do or that's not what young people do or that's not what females do, whether it's farming, whether it's something else. I think there's a lot of good messages to come out of your story. So keep doing what you're doing. And, yeah, like without without even coming on here, I'm sure just, you know, just through you being you and, and, and fulfilling your role, you're motivating people to, to get into the industry. So you should be very proud of yourself. And I'm certainly really, really stoked we've been able to sit down and chat with you. So all the best for the, the coming season. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thanks for the chat, Caitlin. As I said, I knew very little about the agricultural industry, and I'm sure I'm not the only one in that boat. We all see the food on our plate, but very few would realise the blood, sweat, tears and stress that go into getting it there. Like I said earlier, the best part about Caitlin's story is her determination and want to be successful and not letting anything stand in a way, including stereotypes. Like I said, I think a lot of people are hesitant to live out their dreams because society may make them feel like, you know, they don't fit or they can't do it. But like Caitlin says, just do it. You'll fit somewhere and you'll find your place. As Northwest Tassie is a remote area, I just want to quickly tell you about a great organisation doing their bit to help the rural community deal with mental health and suicide. Rural Alive and Well, or better known as RAW, R-A-W, have a mission to build healthy and resilient rural and remote communities to reduce the prevalence of suicide. RAW specialises in providing a proactive outreach and one-on-one support service which addresses situational stresses and increases protective factors to minimise the risk of suicide. RAW is non-clinical, genuine and non-intrusive. The service is confidential with no fees for participants and it uses a person-centred shared goals approach. RAW adopts a culturally sensitive, strength-based and collaborative approach to delivering services. Their team come from a range of backgrounds and receive training and ongoing support to provide evidence-informed care to people. To access their services, call 1800 729 827 you can find them on Facebook and Instagram or jump on their website www.rawtas.com.au